you got to love The Princess Bride, right? I mean, what a great movie. Uh, we also today happen to be talking about marriage. If you've been following along in our uh, text in Ephesians, we've been studying through the book of Ephesians on Sunday mornings, and what a wonderful text, a wonderful book and letter to the church. It's, it is Paul's masterwork, really, on the church, and that's the reason we wanted to focus on it so much, is that we could learn what does it mean to be the church of Jesus and to, to follow the ways of Jesus. And so early in the book, it's talked a lot about doctrine and, and theology, and then the last half of the book really speaks about how we live as believers in the church. And so today, we're going to focus on marriage. We're going to focus on marriage. And this is a beautiful text as you get your Bibles prepared for Ephesians 5. We're going to start in, the verse, in like verse 21, I think. Uh, but if you're with us today, I, I pray that you will, and you're, and you're married especially, my prayer is that you'll pay attention, <laughs> that you will truly listen to what Paul is saying to those of us who are married, husbands and wives. If you're single, maybe you're young and single, pay attention today because God wants to prepare your heart for what a godly marriage looks like. There's not a, a whole lot of examples out there in this world. And so Paul is saying to the church, this is God's intent for a godly marriage. So if you're single, pay attention today. Or it could be that God will give you the gift of singleness. And if he does, either way, we can express the image of God however he chooses to use our lives. But um, this week as I've been studying this, I want you to know I've just, I've honestly felt the gravity of this topic. I've been, for, for many of your marriages, I've been praying this week. Um, one of the parts of my job is I get to know the good, the bad, and the ugly sometimes, you know. And, uh, and so for many of you, I've been praying for your marriages and praying for your hearts and praying uh, that God would move in you and that, that even this text today would be something that would remind you of how we live in the church as people who are married. As you know, marriage has kind of fallen out of popularity. It's not, not uh, as popular as it used to be. Um, since 1960... There are twice as many divorces, 60 years later, twice as many divorces today than there were in 1960. Uh, there are nearly 800,000 divorces a year. Uh, it happens almost every 42 seconds, a divorce does. Um, after 1960, people began to say, well, let me just try out living together. Let's live together, <laughs> and we'll see if this will make it work. They think it will be something that will strengthen a marriage. Uh, before 1960, this didn't. This was hardly even heard of. But sadly, the people, the, the evidence shows that, that people who cohabitate together and, and live together before marriage run a much, much higher risk of a failed marriage than those who don't. Here's the reality for those of us that are married. Uh, it's hard. And everyone goes, yeah, right. <laughs> Here's why. It's because you fall in love. This is a special time. Yeah, I mean, there's just the flutters in your heart, right? Your eyes are filled with, with hearts. You get married, and all of a sudden you realize, we are two sinful people who don't know how to live with each other, right? What in the world have I done? I don't know how, I don't know how to make this work. This is so difficult. This was supposed to be all romance and, and beauty and easy, and, and it's not. This is two sinful people who have to come together and make this work 
But apart from what you're going to see today, apart from Christ, I don't believe it does. I don't believe it works at all. I was thinking about marriage. I was thinking about just the role that God intended in marriage. You know, we, we see it as this, this thing that we do relationally. Uh, but I want you to go back to Genesis 1 and 2. And just take a look at the importance of marriage. God creates the world. He creates animals. He creates man and woman. He creates marriage. It is so important to the fabric of our society, to the fabric of stability of mankind. Sadly, and tragically, our culture is so confused and deceived about gender and marriage and family, they don't even know how to define it. What is it anymore, right? So can we start there with a definition of marriage, right, that is consistent with God's word. This is from John Stott. He says, marriage is an exclusive heterosexual covenant between one man and one woman, ordained and sealed by God, preceded by the leaving of parents, consummated in sexual union, issuing in a permanent, mutually supportive partnership, and normally crowned with the gift of children, right? That's a definition of marriage according to God's word. And we're, we're going to get into this text in just a minute, but I want to just ask this question to the room real quick. And I want to answer, right? How many people should be involved in a marriage? Come on. Two? Wrong. Three? Wrong. One? Wrong. <laughs> Everybody's going, where is, he, where is he going with this? Here's the thing, listen. Today we're going to look at Ephesians 5. Paul's going to speak to wives. He's going to speak to husbands. He's going to talk about the beauty of this example that we give to the world of Christ and his church. There's four. Four people, groups that are, that are involved in a godly marriage. Number one, look at this. Paul's writing this letter to the church. Right? He's not writing this to couples in love about to get married. He's writing this to the church, this community. We're, we're to live, and this is how we're to behave, and this is what we do in a marriage. We live this way. The church is involved in your marriage. Did you know that? It's supposed to be. This is the way God designed it. So Paul, like I said earlier, Paul's written about doctrinal truths, and now he's talking to us about how we live. He, he talked to us in Ephesians 2 about the household of God, that the foundation is the apostles and the prophets, that Jesus is the, the cornerstone, that those of us who know Christ, we come together as living stones and we create this dwelling, not a building, right? Church is not a, a building, it's a people. And we come together and what we create is a dwelling place for God. So he's talked about the importance of the household of God in, in chapter 2. In chapter 5, he's going to talk about here now the importance of the household. He's, he's breaking down how do believers in Jesus live. And when we get married, there's a way we ought to live. The church is involved in that, okay? Marriage is not just some societal institution or religious expectation. It is God's design for the stability of humanity. So here, here's a big picture for us today where we're going. When we get outside of God's design, when we go it on our own, 
outside of what he has spoken to us about how life works best, it won't work best. Does that make sense? When we go outside of God's design, things break down. We run into crisis, brokenness, sinfulness. And we live in a fallen world, so we're going to run into that anyway. But God has given us a design for how we're to live. And if we don't, we get chaos, and that explains a lot of our world. Paul is going to talk to us today. We're going to look at, at this. Go ahead and turn to your Bibles. You might remember last week we, we spoke, the very last verse that I taught on was verse 21, and it talks about submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ. Do you remember that? Well, what's interesting about this text, when you look at the original Greek, there is one long run-on sentence in the Greek from verses 18 to 22. And so you have to take that whole section together. So today we were supposed to start on, in verse 22, but we can't because it's part of a, a run-on sentence. We need to make sure we take it together. And this is what it looks like, right? It, it says in verse 21, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. But what's interesting is if you look in the Greek, there's no verb in verse 22. The word submit is not there. It's actually just a continuation of verse 21. So in other words, it would read like this. First of all, remember it goes all the way back to verse 18. This is important. The very beginning of verse 18 says, be filled with the Spirit. Remember that from last week? Be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> so remember that because it's important to a godly marriage and to what else we're going to talk about today. So be filled with the Spirit. Then we come down to uh, where we're looking at today, verse 21. Submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's how it would read in the Greek. So submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. So it's just a continuation. The first thing Paul says is, in order to have a godly marriage, number one, you got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Period. If things are breaking down, go back to number one. Am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Am I living in such a way that the Spirit of God is working His way through me? Be filled with the Spirit is the first command that Paul makes here in this section. Then he says... As brothers and sisters, submit to one another out of reverence for the Lord. He's speaking to the church. There has to be, like I said last week, there has to be mutual submission in the church of Jesus. There's no one higher, no one lower. No, we're all equal. We're all uh, at the, the same at the foot of the cross. And we submit one to another, right? So before we're husband and wife, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, hopefully. And in that reality of the church, we submit one to another. And then Paul moves a little deeper and says, but wives, also to your husbands, right? So he's taking the wives a little deeper. They have a little bit more uh, commitment there in submission. I'll never forget, Lori and I were dating in college, and I just had this memory. We, we pulled out the Bible one, one night on a date, and, and we were reading through Ephesians 5 about marriage. And we came to this text, wives, submit to your husbands. And you could feel the tension in the car. You know, it's like you could feel it, right, the weirdness. And I said, well, hang, hang on, let's, let's go back just a little bit. And we went back to verse 21 where it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, we didn't know what we were talking about. We didn't know necessarily that they were talking, he was speaking to the church 
and then to wives. We, we didn't know the Greek. We didn't, but it made us go, hey, you know what? I think these two need to go together, and they do. They have to. We, we're submitted to one another, and yet Paul moves wives deeper into this uh, role of submission, if you will. So the church is involved in your marriage. I know that some of you are kind of thinking, how, how is that? I don't like that. <laughs> Sorry. This is the church of Jesus. We are connected to one another. We love one another. And Paul is writing to the church and churches around Ephesus saying, this is how marriages in the church work. He gives some specific directives to us as a church family, as the family of God, the church. He references the fact that um, not only about the submission piece, but he says wives are supposed to mirror the church in her response to Christ. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack that in just a minute. But just remember that. Wives are supposed to mirror the, the image of the church in submission to Christ. Another thing is the church understands that Jesus is the head of the church. He's in charge of the church, and we submit to him in that way. And then lastly, I would just submit to you, the church ought to be a place where there's an environment of healing and safety and honesty and mentoring and help and love and not judgment. The church ought to be a place where we have really bad marriages and really good marriages and okay marriages and amazing marriages. And we mix them all together and we say, hey, you, you guys come over here and help this couple. And you guys, don't give up on your marriage. Don't settle for the mess that you're in, but make it better as we seek Jesus together. The church ought to be an environment where we can be involved in your marriage. It's not just, no, y'all stay out of our business. That's not... That's not the church of Jesus. He's called us to walk together closely enough that in brokenness of marriage we can go, we need help. Can we be honest? We're not doing okay. With your city group, with your triad, this is the place where you can be honest. You can be vulnerable. You can say, we're not okay. Remember this phrase I've used before, it's okay to not be okay. When it comes to your marriage at South City Church, it's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. Because God has given us his church and his word. And he wants us to grow our marriages to be vibrant, healthy, loving marriages. This text isn't primarily about how the church is connected to our marriages, though. So let's keep looking here. First admonition, verse 22, to wives. It says, wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now I don't know about you, but it feels kind of like that night reading with Lori. is like, as soon as you read the word submit, you're like, do you feel that some? You feel some tension there? I want to submit the, well, I want to suggest, let me use that word. I want to suggest to you that the reason we feel that way about submission is what the world has defined it as. We, we recoil to the word submit because of what the, 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 the world has said about submission. And there are cultures around the world that treat women horribly. And there are traditional marriages that treat 
wives as servants in their own home. That, that, it, that's not godly. Paul is not talking about subservience here. And it's so very important that we understand what he means when we mirror the church in her submission to Jesus. I want you to give just a, a moment of context to Ephesus. Remember that Ephesus is a sinful and pagan place. In Ephesus, if you were to wake up one morning in Ephesus, there would be no way that you could walk outside and not see the temple of Diana or Artemis in Greek. Gleaming all over for miles and miles and miles around, you would see that temple. Inside that temple is a woman, a goddess, supposedly, Diana. She was the goddess of fertility. She was very important to their pagan idolatry and religion. And she sort of bolstered women in power. So think of that contextually in Ephesus. This is a place where, where women had, had a, a, a goddess to look to. There, there were powerful women in Ephesus, and yet Paul says, I don't care about your culture. I want to talk to you about God's design. And God's design is, does not follow culture. Culture should follow God's design. Right? And so in the church, we don't follow our culture. So don't let this word derail you. Just give me a moment to redefine it, if you will, okay? And I believe we can through God's word. Here's why it's so important to see, wives, your submission to your husbands as a mirror of the church to Christ. Here's why. We were just worshiping beautifully together, right? We were just singing songs of Jesus. We were just uh, adoring him. Now, when you worship the Lord, do you do so thinking about how domineering he is? I'm not worshiping. Do we, do we worship thinking about how abusive God is? How mean God is? No. When we worship Jesus, we come with our hands open and our hearts open. We, we know that he's just been everything to us. It's his kindness, the word says, that leads us to repentance. We know, we, we open our hearts and our hands and we say, God, you've given me everything. All I have is yours. There's nothing in my life that you have not given me. You're so kind. You're so good. You've saved me from myself. You've saved me from my sin. You've redeemed me. You've rescued me. All I know to do is submit to you because of your kindness. That's the example, ladies, that Paul says you have in submission to your husbands. A joyful blessed, thankful, grateful submission. And when you submit to your husband in that way, it honors Jesus. Do you submit to a sinful husband trying to draw you into sinfulness? Of course not. Right? You, you submit to your husband up to the point uh, where he takes you off the path with Jesus. But submission, I, I believe, when I looked at that and I thought about that example that Paul's trying to make so clearly about church, just as the church submits to Jesus and worships Jesus, wives submit to your husbands. It, it gave me a new definition of submission. Because let me tell you something, we know how good Jesus is. We know how good God is in our lives. And husbands, that's your example. That's what you're called to. Right? That is the list of, of what we're to be. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But our response to Christ 
is that we submit to him gladly with joy because of all that Christ has done for us. It's the same, ladies. I, I, I want to ask you to, to pray and say, God, reframe my definition, not of what the world says is submission, but of what God's word says of submission. I'm not talking about weak women. I'm talking about godly women. It takes strength. It takes confidence and yet humility to do what I'm talking about. In fact, you have to be filled with the Spirit. Husbands, hope you're ready. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. So we have these two main things, right? Two main pieces here. Wives, Paul says, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Wives submit, husbands love. And then he goes into this uh, long list of what it means to love. Now I understand there's fear of submission and how our society sees it. But I think you also have to consider it with the demands of the husband. <laughs> right? Paul calls wives to submit. He calls husbands to give up their lives. In this huge, large section of text, and I want to break it down for the men today, for the husbands and for the wives. It's good for us all to know and, and live by this. When you are a leader, you are, you are given more responsibility, period. When you lead anything, the, the level of responsibility goes up for you. The level of accountability goes up for you. And this is what Paul is saying in this section of Scripture. Men, there, there's more that God expects out of you. As head of your home, as the leader of your home, great responsibility. I want to show you this, this morning four different aspects of love. Men, I hope you'll write these down and live to these. The number one thing that Paul speaks of here is sacrificial love. He says to love our wives like Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. Tall order, guys, <laughs> because Jesus died for the church, right? He died for the church, and I think this, Paul's uh, explanation here is more like a Romans 12 kind of a thing. You know, Paul says in Romans 12, to be living sacrifices. So I think what he's saying is live in such a way that you're, you're dying to yourself. You're dying to your selfishness. You're dying to your, your rights, your, your needs. Whatever the case may be, die to yourself as Christ died for the church. What does that look like to be a godly husband dying for himself? Well, it could look like your preferences not always being the first thing that happens. You submitting your preferences to your wife and your family. It could look like your hobbies, right? Just because it's hunting season doesn't mean you have to go hunting if that hasn't been communicated well, right? Right? doesn't mean you just get to go fishing because you want to go fishing. Communicate well. 
Submit your preferences. Submit your hobbies. Submit your opinions to support and love and die to yourself. We, we place our, our wives above ourselves. I remember my friend, I don't know if you remember my buddy Chad Carger. He's a counselor. He told a story at our small group event. He said uh, one day he was driving home from work, and he was thinking about his family and their need. That he knew that they had some great needs, and he was looking forward to get home and help in, the, in, the, in those needs, right, to help take care of some business and, and lead well. And he said it felt like the Holy Spirit just sort of stopped him and checked his spirit and heart and said, Hey, Chad, why don't you take that cape that's around your neck as Super Chad? Oh, you're flying in to save the day at home. Why don't you take that cape off your neck and wrap it around your waist and just be prepared to serve? That is what it looks like to die to yourself. Be willing to serve. Paul said this of the church in Philippians 3. About others, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Don't you think if Paul would say to do that in the church, that he would expect that in our marriages? We look to the other's interests. We place ourselves beneath. That's what it looks like. It's a sacrificial love. He also calls us men to, to live a sanctifying love. Look with me in verses 25 to 27 again. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, as we read that, you might go, okay, well, I don't really see a role for me here, <laughs> right? Only God can redeem. Only God can cleanse. I, I love 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us or purify us from all unrighteousness, right? That's what the blood of Jesus does spiritually in our hearts and in our lives. I believe what he's talking about when he says that he cleanses us by the washing of water. I believe he's talking about baptism. Because you can't see what's happening spiritually when God cleanses us. But this is something we do to show that we are dead. We, we, we die with Christ, raised to newness of life. This is a physical, something we can see that represents the spiritual cleansing of our lives. We're cleansed by the water, washing of the water, he says, and the word. What is the word? The word is the gospel of Jesus because only the gospel of Jesus saves us. Only the gospel of Jesus cleanses us, forgives us, purifies us. He's the only one. So we see this in our lives. This is something only God can do, right? So husband's kind of going, all right, well, what's, what's my role? If only the Lord can save and cleanse and, 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 and wash through the word, through the water, what do I do? Well, the question is, husbands, do you want to see your wife grow in Jesus? What does a sanctifying love look like for you towards your wife? Do you want to see her sanctified? Do you want to see her grow in Christ? Do you give her opportunities to, you take the kids, go meet with your triad. Please, have a blast. Go, go spend a weekend with the girls and talk about the Lord and grow and, and be connected. Go to that conference. Go to that event. I, I want to stay home. 
Do you find ways to encourage your wife spiritually? Do you pray for your wife? Do you lead your family in discipleship with you first? Leading your, your own life in discipleship and let it moving into your family. Encouraging, challenging, conversations over the dinner table. Opportunities for prayer. What does it look like? And, and lastly, I'll just say this too. What is our commitment to have our marriages con- connected to a family of believers? The family of families. Because that's the design. God wants to use husbands and wives and Christ and his church in our marriages. And if we're committed to the body of Christ, then there's a place of accountability. There's a place of honesty. There's a place of healing. So we have sacrificial love that he's called us to men. We have a sanctifying love. Then he says we have a self-love that we need to love with. The way we love ourselves. I love this because I'm just thinking about the Apostle Paul going, all right, what do husbands love most in all the world? Huh, themselves. Isn't it true? It's so true. Love most in all the world, themselves. Okay, guys, so love your wife the way you love yourself. You see what he's trying to do? He's trying to give this real-world example of how to love. There's probably nobody in your life you love more than you. You're probably not going to miss a meal today. You're probably not going to miss some opportunity to, to make your life a little better in some way. He says, now step back and do that for your wife first. Love with a self-love. Verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of of his body. Now this may sound like Jesus. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is reiterating that. This is how we love, even greater than we love ourselves, even greater than we want to care for ourselves, care for your wife. Can I just say, you know, if you no longer see your marriage as two becoming one, if you no longer see you and your husband as one, Houston, we have a problem, right? If you no longer see yourself in your marriage as one, there is a a great issue. I want to encourage you to think about that. Because as he says, as we love our wives, we're loving ourselves. We invest in our wives, we're investing in ourselves. Because it just makes our marriage better. It'll be reciprocal. In the same way, when we love one another as the church, it'll be reciprocal because we're one body. Just as a husband and wife are one. He says that we're to nourish and cherish. What does that mean, husband? (laughs) A lot of times it's hard for husbands to be nourishing and cherishing. Well, let's define it. To nourish something is to enrich it, to care for it. Lori Lori has all these skin care and hair care products and all those things are, and, and Daisy's crazy about that stuff. She's got more than Lori does. They use this stuff to enrich their bodies, to, to care for themselves in some way. So what does that mean for us as men? How do we help make our wives healthy? How do we care for our wives in such a way that we nourish them? We supply things that will feed them and care for them. What does it mean to cherish? To cherish your wife just means to be so grateful. I I have, you know, I love old guitars and I have a few. I cherish them. I do. I, I love them. I need to learn 
to cherish my wife, to be so grateful for my wife that it's no, it's no thing for me to submit to Jesus and to give my life for her because I cherish and want to nourish her. You know, I don't always do it. I'm not always good at it, but I, I believe in men opening doors for their wives. I, I, I've fallen behind some. Uh, and so this is convicting moment, and I want to step it up a little bit. Because I want my daughters to see their father loving their mom in such a way that I cherish her. She is the love of my life. And I want them to know how very much I adore her. Right? That is what we do. I, I want to wash dishes, not because it's just something needed to be done, because I want to nourish and cherish my, my wife. I want to rub her feet. I want to give gifts to her. I want to do whatever I would want to do for me. I want to do that for her. That is a self-loving kind of love. Husbands, may we learn to do it. Then Paul calls us to this last one, a satisfying love. Verse 31, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You know, often I get a chance to speak to, either I'm doing a wedding, or I get the chance to speak to young married men. And whether you're young or old and you're married, this, can, this is still important, okay? I tell them, don't make the mistake of making your wife compete for your love with your mother. Don't make that mistake. Love your mother. And listen, I'm a mama's boy, you know I am. I love, I adore my mom. She was wonderful in every way. But my wife is not my mom. And the Bible speaks to husbands. Isn't that interesting? It speaks to men. It speaks to husbands. Husbands, leave your mother and father. And cleave or, or hold fast. Connect to your wife. Let this be a singular love. Don't, don't, don't be talking about her biscuits not being as good as mom's biscuits. That will not end well for you. Trust me, they're two different people. Love your wife as your wife. Love your mother as your mother. But leave, right? This is what I mean by that. And, and I, I'm sad that I have to say this to us men, but I want to speak to this in this culture. We shouldn't treat our wives like our moms. She's not responsible for cleaning up after us. She's not responsible to feed us. She's not responsible to motivate us. She's not responsible to convict us. She's not responsible, this is for some millennials, to come and try to get you off the video game so that you'll come spend time with the kids. Come on, guys. Really? Until men leave father and mother and hold fast, which is connect, which is work on a relationship, which is cherish that love, nurture that romance, prioritize that commitment, you will never have the marriage God wants you to have. And you'll always be comparing, and that will not end well for you. He says the two become one flesh. Paul's talking about sexual intimacy. But I also want to add to you that it's not just sexual intimacy that's important. It's soul intimacy. See, when you, when you have soul intimacy and you are connected in this beautiful way, sexual intimacy is a byproduct of soul intimacy. You are so connected that sexual intimacy is easy because you're so connected. And guess what? When you're connected with sexual intimacy, soul intimacy is so easy. They go hand in hand, and I don't completely understand it. 
This is God's design. This is why it's a mystery and it's profound. But I know that this is God's design. And when we don't consider ourselves one any longer, when this is missing in our marriages and we're not one, there will be a breakdown. There is a breakdown. We have two bank accounts here and we have two beds here and we have this beginning of this splitting. We become roommates. God forbid, work on your marriage. Work on your sexual intimacy in marriage. It is worth it because it's so much more than sex. It's soul intimacy. And it represents Christ and his church. How? I'm not sure. But it does. Even Paul says, it's a profound mystery. But it's worth working for it. The word mystery in the Greek is mysterion. And it not only means mystery, but it also means secret. The title of the message today is The Secret of Marriage. What is the secret of marriage? What is it? I wish every married couple knew the secret of marriage, but I'm going to tell you today the secret. You want to know? It's the gospel of Jesus. You go, oh, that sounds pretty easy, preacher, right? Let me guess, Jesus. Ding, 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 ding. Yep. That's it. The secret to your marriage, the secret to my marriage is Jesus. It is his gospel. He says it's about Christ and his church. This profound mystery is about Christ and his church. The wife is this beautiful picture of the church submitting to Jesus. The husband is this beautiful picture of of laying his life down as Christ did for the church. When Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands, that means give yourself up. When Paul says to husbands, Be willing to to do what Jesus did. Love as Jesus loved the church. He's saying give yourself up. It's the same thing. Marriage has to be two spirit-filled believers that are submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Understanding that these roles aren't better than or or greater than or less than. They are equal. They are complementary. There are certain things God has given men by his design. Remember, because we want to stay in God's design. We want to go outside of it. But he's given men certain uh, abilities, certain aspects to who they are in their design. And women, we don't have what you have, women. And and women, you don't have what we have. We need to to complement each other so that this works the way God has designed it. I want to just close by telling you this. The Christian life is all about surrender. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, lay down your life. Pick up your cross, deny yourself. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Being a Christian is about surrender. I give up. And so is being married. It's about surrender to Christ first. He is the head of the husband. And he has designed it for the husband to be the head of the wife. He's designed it for husband and wife to be the head of the children. He's designed it for employers to submit, uh, employees to submit to employers. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But lastly, I just want to reiterate, reiterate these roles. The last verse in our text, we're going to go, verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife. This is the third time Paul has said, love your wife. And then let the wife see that she respects her husband. He adds something to women, to wives. Submit and respect, now he's saying. And this is why, listen. 
It's something to do with how we're created. And the sad reality of the enemy, this is what the enemy does. When you get in a fight and you get in a, a, something that separates you, men, what do we do? We start pulling love from our wife so that hopefully she'll learn to respect. But he says, no, love. Women, what do you do? You start pulling respect so hopefully he'll learn to love. But if we'll just understand the key, you know, women need love and men need respect. And if we would just understand that in hum humility, humble ourselves, come in the middle of that argument and say, honey, I have not been loving to you. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I want to learn to be more loving. I want to love you with my life. I want to love you with all that I am. Would you forgive me? I guarantee you something's going to change in her heart. Ladies, if you come to your husband and you say, I have not respected you the way I've needed to. I want to respect you the way God has called me to. And I want to, I want to submit to you the way God has called me to. I want to love you. Oh, my goodness. Something will happen in his heart that you can't even understand. Dr. Egrich has this book called Love and Respect that speaks to this topic. And it's really outstanding. I would encourage you to read it. I want to read one quote before we close. And this is from uh, Tim Keller's amazing marriage book called The Meaning of Marriage. It says, so what do you need to make a marriage work? You need to know the secret, the gospel. And how it gives you both the power and the pattern for your marriage. On the other hand, the experience of marriage will unveil the beauty and depths of the gospel to you. It will drive you further into reliance on it. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This is the only kind of relationship that will really transform us. Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but it keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, the gospel, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and yet also radical unconditional commitment to us. Hear that. The merciful commitment strengthens us to see the truth about ourselves and repent. The conviction and repentance moves us to cling to and rest in God's mercy and grace. This ought to be what our marriages look like. Where we say, no matter what, I'm here. I'm staying. I love you. Let's work it out together. That's, that's grace and yet commitment. And that's the environment where we can heal in our marriages. My prayer for us this morning as I close is that God would make us a church, that we're involved in each other's marriages, we're honest with each other, that our church can, can model in marriage where wives are submitting and loving their husbands the way the church responds to Christ. Where husbands are loving their wives, laying their lives down as living sacrifices the way Christ did for the church. And that we create an environment here where we can grow in our marriage. It's hard, y'all. You know it is. It's difficult. Some of you are hurting very, very deeply today. But God loves you. And I pray that in this text we can learn to be obedient to what God calls us to. This is how we live in the church.
in this family as married people. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you. God, I'm just grateful for your word. I'm grateful, Father, for um, this beautiful treatise that Paul has given us on marriage. What it means for wives, what it means for husbands. These are not easy things to do. These are things, God, that are selfless aspects of marriage. And the only way we can accomplish these things, Lord, is to be filled with your spirit, submitted to you and one another. God, I want to pray for the marriages in our church that are here this morning on our campus, the ones that are watching, even people that are not a part of our church, whether here or watching. God, would you help us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, to understand these roles you've given us, to be courageous enough to walk in them, to live in them, to be who you've called us to be in marriage. And that that, that marriage would be a beautiful representation of Christ and his church. Father, we love you. I pray for any marriages that are struggling, any marriages that are dying, any marriages that don't feel like one anymore. By your spirit, God, may we submit to you and one another. May we love, respect, submit, honor, cherish, nourish, and be who you've called us to be as believers in Jesus in our marriages. And we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.